last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome in to the Mass in All Access podcast, our first edition of the 2022 new calendar year. Thank you so much for making us a part of your Wednesday afternoon. We are so thankful to have you guys join us for another full calendar year of Nationals coverage here on the Mass and All Access podcast. Hopefully you're tuning in live on the Mass and Nationals Facebook page and or YouTube channel. And if not, you're checking us out after the fact on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and or SoundCloud. Glad to see everyone has had a happy holidays and are hopefully staying warm during this winter wonderland across the DMV. Let me bring in my uh, co-host, Amy Jennings, who joins me via Zoom as we are both working remotely from the comforts of our own home. Amy, good to see you. Happy New Year. How have you been? Yeah, Happy New Year. I've been good. Um, last week, I went to New York and got to see our, our Terps with a huge bull win. I don't know who that team was, but that was pretty awesome. So I've been uh, kind of riding high ever since that. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I enjoyed that game a lot. I think I, what we learned is that 6-6-6, six, 6-6 six, six, six six in the Big Ten is very different than 6-6 six and six in the ACC. No offense to our uh, fellow Nationals fans who are also Virginia Tech Hokie fans. Um, but yeah, that was quite the game. That was fun to watch. And uh, for us as alumnus and alums uh, of the University of Maryland, Gets, gets us excited for what's to come and the, what's next in the Loxley era. I think making a bowl game and winning the game is a big step for what Lox is trying to do with uh, this football program. So that was pretty exciting. Um, aside from New York trip, did you get to do, uh, did you get anything cool or noteworthy uh, during the holidays? Hmm, I did get some Washington Nationals gear. Hey, so, uh, right. so I was excited about that. So we'll, you you all get to see that on the podcast here soon. How about you? Anything exciting? Oh, well, yeah. I remember I was complaining so much that I had no long sleeve Nationals gears to wear during the offseason and uh, got a brand new quarter zip. Thanks to my uh, my grandmother, who is a, uh, a fellow watcher of the show, an adamant watcher. So thank you, Nana. Um, and I think I, like I, got, a, I got another one. Um, from my parents. So I've got winter off-season Nationals gear for the podcast and for work, which is nice. It's nice and cozy. Um, and it came, came in handy because, yeah, of course, we have snow and we have more snow on the way here in D.C. So um, it was good to have uh, some long sleeve Nationals gear to wear and to keep me warm as we continue to talk about baseball during this off-season. Well, speaking of which, you know, of course, with the lockout, you know, teams are not allowed to make roster moves currently. Uh, it's a, a quiet time in baseball right now. Nation, nationals and baseball fans in general have really nothing really to look forward to until a new CBA is announced and some news starts trickling in. Um, so, Amy, I thought that we could take a look back um, in, in Nationals off seasons past, so to speak, because, you know, January is typically a very busy month for Mike Rizzo. Uh, he likes assembling his team about a month in advance before spring training. I know, I know that the market uh, dictates sometimes in a couple of years, and there's been you know slow-moving markets, late signings, well into spring training. Uh, but Mike Rizzo likes assembling his major league roster heading into spring training. That's one of the small things I think that we overlook when talking about how Mike Rizzo has kept his team competitive year in and year out. He gets his roster put together well in advance of spring training so everyone can report on time. They can get to work on time and uh, get prepared for the season at a normal pace. So, of course, with the lockout, that can't happen this year. 
we got to wait for the new CBA um, before Mike Rizzo starts to be able to add to uh, new uh, new talent to the roster uh, and building roster. And, and of course, uh, uh, circumstances are different during the first year of a rebuild. But I thought we could look back and make and look at some of the most significant moves Mike Rizzo has made uh, in, in the month of January. Because like I said, it's a, it has been traditionally a busy month for him. Uh, he has made a lot of, of moves, and, and as, as I talk about this, I hope you, those who are watching on Facebook and YouTube, comment along throughout the course of the show. Some of these are franchise-altering moves. Some of them are, you know, fun moves that ended up well um, for the player and the franchise, so it's, it, we're, we can have some fun with it. Um, I thought that we could start going back in reverse chronological order, Amy, via year. So we'll start with 2021 offseason last year and work our way back to about 2011 uh, but then within each year, we'll go chronologically. So we'll start with the first move that he made uh, and then work. If there's if there's multiple moves in, in, in a particular year, we can go with the first one he made to the last and okay. then go to the previous year. How's that sound? Does that make sense? Okay, that's good. Let's do it. All right. Well, because obviously there's a big one that came in January with that anniversary coming up in a couple of weeks. We'll get to that one, but that happened a couple of years ago. Let's start with last year, 2021 offseason, of course, coming off a – uh, pandemic shortened 2020 season. All of baseball is looking kind of to rebound and, and and especially the Nationals retool set up for another championship run. And probably the biggest move that Mike Rizzo made all of last offseason ended up being the signing of Kyle Schwarber on January 9th. He signed to a one-year deal that included um, a mutual option for 2022. Uh, Kyle ended up making $10 million off of that deal. He did not uh, pick up the option when he eventually traded the Red Sox, but ended up having, uh, it was a short amount of time, but a pretty solid season with the Nationals. Of course, traded at July to the Red Sox for minor league pitcher Aldo Ramirez, but ended up pitching in 72 games with the Nationals, uh, hitting 25 home runs, 53 RBIs. But he'll remember be remembered, of course, for that 18-game rampage he went on in June, um, hitting 348, 1446 OPS, um, and, of course, crushing 16 home runs with 27 RBIs, helping the Nationals get back in the NL East. Now it's kind of their last gasp of hope uh, for competitiveness in the 2021 season. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at the time when they, they signed Kyle Schwarber, this was a team that was, you know, planning on being competitive in 2021, or at least that was the hope. And we knew that was a veteran power bat in the middle of the lineup, kind of what they were looking for. And then things obviously took a turn um, when it came around to the trade deadline, but they were able to get that pitching prospect um, back in Aldo Ramirez, who is 10th in the national system right now, um, didn't have a great year when he came over, only through a seven innings in rookie ball for the Nationals, gave up seven earned runs, so not so great, but uh, they say his velocity is trending up and he does have the ceiling of, of a mid-rotation starter. He's only 20 years old, so it's kind of, we'll wait to see on the return on that trade, but they were able to get something for Kyle Schwarber, and obviously what was so no noteworthy about his time in the Nationals were those 16 home runs in that 18-game stretch in June, which included four uh, multi-homer games, so that's what he will be remembered as um, in, in Nationals history and obviously that's why they were able to trade him at the deadline because he had such a great June so at the time they got him they kind of had higher hopes for the team as a whole but they were able to get something back at, at the trade deadline so that was definitely the most noteworthy 
um, acquisition at, over the last offseason. It's kind of hard to believe that was just a year ago. Like, I feel like Kyle Schwarber and Josh Bell have both been with the team forever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, Josh Bell, of course, was traded on, on Christmas Eve the year before. I, I thought so, too. I had to remember that Josh Bell was traded on Christmas Eve because I was like, I thought they both signed in January. And no, no, they didn't. It was just Kyle Schwarber signed in January. John Lester, I think, signed it up. Uh, ended up signing uh, in, in early February, I think it was, or a couple weeks later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Kyle Schwarber had the biggest impact on this roster out of anyone that they acquired last offseason. And, you know, who knows how the national season would have gone uh, if Kyle Schwarber would have stayed healthy. He went down on July 2nd in a game against the Dodgers at Nationals Park with a right hamstring injury. Um, I believe... Uh, that was one of the last games he ended up playing as, as a national. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of surprising that the nationals actually got something for him in a trade uh, because he was injured. And, and, but, you know, he has a history of, of, uh, you know, he proved that he's one of the best power bats in all of baseball. Once he's healthy, when he's playing, the Red Sox took a chance on him It ended up paying off for them because he did hit a couple home runs for them uh, in the playoffs. And, and, and I think he finished the regular season out on the active roster playing first base for them. But um, yeah, I mean, who knows how the national season last year would have gone had Kyle Schwarber remained healthy, kept on that pace. I mean, that's hard to sustain over the last three or four months of the season, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And uh, the, the last season could have gone completely differently had Kyle Schwarber stayed healthy and continued that him and Juan Soto could have carried this team to maybe not a postseason run, but at least would have made the second half of the season way more interesting and competitive had he been healthy. Right, because, I mean, as soon as he went out uh, and was injured, this team kind of took a turn for the worst. I mean, they were winning those games in June, and then um, that kind of set to, set the tone for the rest of the season, really. So who who knows, but at least they were able to deal him at the deadline and get something in return, and we'll kind of see what Aldo Ramirez is able to do here in the future. Again, he's only 20 years old. He's young, um, but, you know, he is projected to be a back-end starter and have the ceiling of, of – um, a middle starter. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, all right. So that was the big one from last season, last uh, January, excuse me. Let's move on to the next one uh, a year prior, 2020. Um, the Nationals coming off, of course, the 2019 World Series championship, looking to rebuild uh, and set themselves up for another championship run. Of course, no one knew at the time that the, sh- the world would be shut down just a few months later, <laughs> and then we would have to play a 60-game shortened season. Um, and everything went wrong for for a whole lot of reasons. But the Nationals started off that offseason by signing Will Harris to a three-year deal um, worth $24 million. Of course, he had previously pitched for the Astros. It was kind of questionable move, Amy, because Will Harris was 34, 35 excuse me, at the time. But he had pitched well in 2019 for the Astros. He had an ERA of 150 in 68 games. Of course, he gave up. Uh, the home run to Anthony Rendon in Game 6 and the uh, series-clinching home run to uh, Howie Kendrick in Game 7 of the World Series. But Mike Rizzo took a chance, giving a 35-year-old a three-year deal. And things haven't really turned out so well for Will Harris in his short time so far in Washington. Yeah, exactly. 35 years old, but they had just played against him in the World Series, and it was one of the best years of his career. He finished with a 150 ERA in his 60 innings 
um, in 2019. And then, of course, the Nationals played him in the World Series. But since they got him, he's kind of just been injured. I mean, he had that groin injury um, in 2020 in the shortened season. And then, of course, this past year, what he thought was originally diagnosed as a blood clot was a misdiagnosis. There turns out it's thoracic outlet syndrome. Um, and he was kind of dealing with all of that. And in the meantime, he was pitching. And every time he threw, his arm would swell up and get super red. And they couldn't kind of figure that out. So it was a relief when they, he got that diagnosis. But then it was also kind of like, you know, he is older and at the back end of his career and you know what does that mean so they haven't really gotten the return that they were hoping for like you said it was a chance because he was 35 but it was a a good chance because he you know was coming off of such a great year so hopefully you know in 2022 he is able to to bounce back uh it's just kind of hard to tell how he will finish his time with the nationals yeah, this was a big deal at the time, too, because it was January 3rd, so early on in the, the, the year of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the assumption was the Nationals were still going to re-sign Daniel Hudson. We'll get to him in a second. Um, and that they would create this three-headed monster at the back end of the Nationals bullpen along with Sean Doolittle uh, as the closer going back into the 2020 season. So it, it had optimism, but he's only played in 28 games, Will Harris, that is, uh, since over the first two seasons. Of course, the, the shortened 2020 season affects that. He, he pitched in 20 games back in 2020 and only eight games this past season. But uh, the ERA is really high. The whip is really high. Not that many strikeouts. A lot of things out of his control, of course. But, yeah, uh, hopefully with... Uh, a full new bill of health entering 2022. Will Harris will bounce back and, and you know, I it's hard to salvage a three year, $24 million deal when you've only pitched uh, 28 games so far, or less than 30 games. But, you know, like you said, hopefully you'll have a, a bounce back season, maybe become, you know, a coveted reliever at the trade deadline. Uh, you know, a veteran reliever that a competing team's going to need to add because relievers always, you know, sought out after uh, in, at the trade deadline. So maybe Will Harris can have a strong first half of the season. The Nationals can ship him and the remaining of his deal of his contract to a competing team and he can go help another team try to win a World Series. So, um, yeah, it's a big move, a significant move for Mike Rizzo. Uh, it was kind of a gamble, has not paid off so far, but hopefully it's not over yet. Hopefully Will Harris can bounce back and uh, try to uh, you know, salvage that contract. All right, about two weeks later, less than not even 10 days, 11 days later, January 14th, we just talked about it, mentioned him. Daniel Hudson re-signs with the Nationals, of course, the uh, a couple months after sealing the World Series championship, uh, recording the last out with a strikeout of Michael Brantley. Uh, he came over to the Nationals at the trade deadline uh, from the Blue Jays. Was not expected to be the closer, but with Sean Doolittle basically gassed by that point in the season because of his usage during the first half of the season, he was kind of thrust into this uh, closer's role, and a role that he didn't really want, but he thrived in. And he was a major part in the Nationals' turnaround that year and, of course, postseason run. Daniel Hudson coming over um, to or coming over to the Nationals early that season and then re-signing for two years, $11 million, the remaining offseason, to try to keep that back end of the bullpen intact. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at the time, obviously, it was a huge part of that World Series when you kind of had to re-sign him. And then when they signed Will Harris two weeks earlier and then re-signed Daniel Hudson, you kind of had 
high hopes for the bullpen that they were putting together. And you thought this is a team that could compete again in 2020. We obviously know what happened there. Um, so, you know, it was a, a good decision or seems like a great decision there at the time. But then, of course, he had a bad 2020 tied for the highest walk percentage of his career. Um, and then, of course, this this year they traded him to the Blue Jays and were able to get Mason Thompson and Jordy Barley back in return. Uh, but the time was ex- at the time in last year in January is exciting because you thought that they were going to put together what kind of worked as a bullpen. And of course, things kind of fell apart there for the bullpen and uh, Daniel Hudson and specific- specifically. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned his struggles in 2020, a 610 ERA in 21 games, and he still finished his Nationals career over parts of three seasons with an ERA under three, which is pretty impressive. That goes to show how well he pitched uh, in in second half of 2019 and the first half of 2021. Uh, he was Davey Martinez' really only reliable arm out of the bullpen this past season. He had a 220 ERA, made himself a reliable piece. I think it helped that he was once a already a trade ship, you know, coming over from the Nationals. He proved that he can go from a team midseason and produce. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I did not really look up how he fared in San Diego with the Padres of the second half of the season, but of course we know that they did not end up making the playoffs, so that team kind of fell apart late. But yeah, the Nationals get two players back. Mason Thompson had a, a couple of good outings, um, you know, some more so bad, but, you know, we saw a lot of Mason Thompson down the stretch. Um, so just someone that the Nationals, you know, got in return, a young arm, got some major league experience for him. So, you know, of course, Nationals fans are going to love Daniel Hudson for what he did in 2019. Um, but the re-signing of him in 2020 uh, in January was it was a big moment because a lot of Nationals fans were clamoring for them to resign. There were questions whether or not they would do it. We knew Daniel Hudson kind of secretly wanted to come back because his family was felt welcomed here, and of course, this is where they won a title. So I think in the end, it kind of worked out for both parties. The Nationals got good production out of Hudson when they needed it, and they got something in return for him, and he was able to go to a competitor back to his coast. He's from Arizona, I believe, so or lives in Arizona during the offseason. So San Diego uh, was probably a nice spot for him to land last uh, for the second half of the season. Um, all right, that was 2020. What's one more in the year of 2020? And this is kind of a big one because it had ripple effects for the next couple of years. This did not play a major factor in 2020, but it did have for this past year, and that's re-signing Ryan Zimmerman uh, to a one-year deal worth $2 million back in 2020. Of course, he opted out of that season due to COVID concerns, but that set the framework for his return in 2021. We knew mm-hmm. after the World Series, he said that he did not want to play for any other team other than Nationals, otherwise he would retire. Uh, the Nationals were able to work out a deal with him for a one-year deal. He sat out, he brought him back, and he looked really refreshed and, and played a significant role in this team even after the sell-off. Ryan Zimmerman played a, an important role in this team this past season. Of course, uh, captive, uh, capped off with the, the ovation he got at Nationals Park on the last day of season. Ryan Zimmerman had a very impactful year this year, um, and that does not happen without the framework of this deal that happened back in 2020 on January 28th. Yeah, I mean, I think it surprised a lot of people this year, too, because not only is he coming off a year where he sat out, but he's also at the back end of his career, possibly the last year of his career. And he played a whole lot of games uh, in 2021, was able to stay healthy. And then, of course, is the key piece um, in this clubhouse as well. But if you remember back in January last year, they signed him at or they re-signed him at the, the end of January. And kind of the the tale was that they were waiting to fill out um 
the rest of those pieces, make those other signings, the trades, and then he would kind of be the last piece and they would offer him and he was fine with that. He was fine with kind of waiting and seeing um, what kind of deal they were, they were able to work out. Of course they did that one year deal again in 2021. um, And it kind of seems like that's the potential for 2022 as well. So he's fine with these, you know, one year deals and it's been productive for the nationals as well. Um, Especially this year, he was obviously really important to this team. Yeah, he was. And, uh, you know, backing up Josh Bell off the bench, he accepted a new role. That was kind of the uh, given uh, circumstances of that original deal back in 2020. It returned in 2021 after the Nationals had acquired Josh Bell on Christmas Eve. Um, but, yeah, he had a really strong year, a 756 OPS. He had 16 doubles and 14 homers with 46 RBIs in uh, 273 plate appearances, plus played really good defense and was a strong defensive substitute late in games for David Martinez, even after Josh Bell uh, started improving his defense at first base. So, you know, it goes without saying what he has meant to this franchise, to the city, all the accolades, the records, what he's done off the field in the community, but um, an important milestone uh, for Ryan Zimmerman and Mike Rizzo to get that deal done, setting the framework for his return in 2021 and who knows i mean that's possibly the framework that we we could see if ryan zerman decides to play again this year um we'll see probably a deal similar to that one year between one and two million dollars um you know maybe ryan zerman can get himself a pay bump after having a strong year uh last year so it might not be the end for ryan zerman in dc but if it is what a way to come back and that does not happen without them coming to an agreement back in january of 2020 all right Mm -hmm. The year prior to that, 2019, this is pre or yeah pre World Series championship. The Nationals are still chasing that elusive title. Uh, kind of quiet in the month of January. The one thing of note would be signing Brian Dozier to a one-year deal, nine million dollars for a veteran second baseman who had experience with the Twins and the Dodgers. The season that he put up wasn't jaw-dropping. Only hit 238. Uh, 20 homers, 50 RBIs in just over 100 in 135 games. But it's what Brian did to the team in the clubhouse, off the field, the camaraderie he brought together. And of course, you know, the dancing shirtless and singing Calma with uh, Anibal Sanchez and the Latin players. I mean, that was the kind of thing that Brian Dozier brought to this team, made him a fan favorite forever uh, here in D.C. Yeah, exactly. I don't think I'll ever forget him taking his shirt off anytime <laughs> they celebrated um, in that 2019 postseason. That was his thing. I don't know what it was, but uh, he loved to do that. And yeah, he was a huge piece, especially in this clubhouse. I mean, he really brought this team together and he ate a lot of important innings there at second base. I mean, if you remember Howie Kendrick was kind of a liability there. They split a lot of time there during the season. It wasn't, you know, jaw-dropping jaw, jaw numbers. Um, but, you know, he was a, an important piece in that 2019 and ate a lot of innings there. And, of course, he'll be remembered, I think, mostly for his clubhouse, clubhouse presence. Yeah, and he was kind of the focal point in that team chemistry. And a lot of players have mm-hmm. come out after the fact and said, you know, we don't think we can accomplish what we did without Brian Dozier and the guys that we had in there because it's just the positivity they brought every single day. Uh, even when they were 19 and 31, losing a lot of games, getting swept by the Mets, the positivity that he brought to the clubhouse, the veteran leadership that he had. Um, I think that spoke volumes for that, not just him, but the team in general. That was a special team. It takes a special team to win a championship. And that team obviously was special because they were so closely bonded off the field, not just on the field 
as well. And yeah, I mean, he was an important defensive substitute during the postseason. Like you mentioned, Howie Kendrick having some defensive struggles. His bat, you couldn't take it out of the lineup. But late in game with the lead, Brian Dozier or Anibal or uh, Asdrubal Cabrera going playing second base in place of Howie Kendrick was uh, an important uh, piece and option for Davey Martinez during that October run. Speaking of which, Howie Kendrick, uh, he is one of the best, maybe, I don't know, it's hard because he came to the Nationals via a trade during the 2017 season. The following January, he re-signs to a two-year deal uh, in 2018, January 18th, $7 million to stay. He ended his career as one of the best hitters all around in baseball history, he was uh, 34 years old when he got traded from the Phillies to the Nationals, but he was hitting 340 with Philly um, and then comes off and just has an incredible career in D.C., even though his 2018 season was cut short due to an Achilles injury. Yeah, yeah. If you don't, I mean, that was a huge part of, you know, Juan Soto kind of coming onto the scene is when Howie Kendrick went out with his Achilles and he was just such a good team player about it too. You know, he when you talk about that world series team and it was kind of the perfect mix of these old veteran guys and these really young players. Um, and, you know, he saw when he got hurt, it was an opportunity for a young guy and that's how they, you know, put together that 2019 team. So, you know, you never want to see a guy hurt, but that was a huge part of them putting together that world series team. Um, and, you know, you look at his time, with the nationals, I mean, that re-signing paid off just with his grand slam um, against the Dodgers and the NLDS. I mean, they would not have won that world series without Howie Kendrick. (laughs) Yeah. He has a, he bounced back from that injury in 2018 uh, and the second year of his deal, 2019 hitting 344, 17 home runs and 62 RBIs. One of his best seasons he's ever put together at that age. Of course, like you mentioned the grand slam, then the championship clinching home run in game seven off of Will Harris in the World Series. Um, he returned in 2020, had an okay season, but then retired. Another Nationals legend that signed in January, uh, I guess re-signed because he was traded midseason th- uh, the, the year mm-hmm. prior. But uh, that worked out on both sides as well. How he got his ring, the Nationals had one of the best weapons offensively that they've had in a long time. One of the most consistent hitters that we've ever seen wear uh, the Curly W hat. Um, here's a surprise one, Amy, and I don't know if you thought of this top of your head. When I was putting this together, when I saw this name, it immediately jumped off uh, the page for me. Matt Albers. I don't know if many people are going to remember Matt Albers. He only one year in D.C. He signed on January 31st, 2017, so just a couple of weeks prior to spring training. It was only a minor league deal, but he would go on to have one of the best relief pitching seasons that we've ever seen the national a national have. Um, he was an uh, I think eleven year vet at the time. His ERA uh, was over four as a career. He had just turned thirty four, like I said, minor league invitation. He was cut right before opening day, even though he had not given up a single run in spring training, and then was signed, re-signed on on April 9th, and then had a great a great season, a 162 ERA in 63 games. One of the biggest underdog stories, I think, that we've seen in Nationals history and uh, one of the best reliever se- seasons we've ever seen uh, here in D.C. 
Right. I mean, he kind of does get overlooked. He was the best reliever in the Nationals bullpen in that season with them. He had a 1-6-2 ERA in uh, 63 games that he pitched for the Nationals, uh, which was the most out of the bullpen in that year. And he was coming off of a really bad year with the White Sox. The Nationals got what they got out of him. And then he had a terrible year the next year with Milwaukee. Uh, he had an ERA over seven, I think. But you do kind of forget about him because that's the year that the Nationals traded for Doolittle and Ryan Madsen. And even after that, Matt Albers was really still the best guy in this bullpen. Uh, he put together such a good season and he's kind of the perfect example of, you know, Rizzo getting a guy at exactly the right time, you know, hoping he has a bounce back year. He did. And then uh, getting rid of him at the right time. Uh, But he does get overlooked, even though he put together such a great year and he was the most dominant reliever in the Nationals bullpen in 2017. Yeah. And uh, I think that's uh, an important Note because he he did have such a great year and uh, it was just the one year. I mean, it's, there's a couple of guys like Dozier who was only with the Nationals for one season. He would go on after that year and he, you know, that season catapulted him to get a major contract. Probably one of his first or biggest um, of his career, and then he never really lived up to that, and and, and he retired a couple of years later. But that season, he was important for Dusty Baker's bullpen. He pitched some important innings in the postseason, even though they couldn't get over the hump in that year. But uh, yeah, Matt Alpers, sneaky, and this is only one of the guys that was a, a minor league deal too. It wasn't like an, a big major league contract. Nope, small minor league deal. Probably went under the radar at the time, and then he went on to have one of the best seasons we've ever seen. Um, a Nationals reliever have. Speaking of Nationals relievers, this next one is a pretty interesting one. Um, I'm sure Nationals fans will remember this day. Uh, Drew Storen getting traded to the Blue Jays for outfielder Ben Revere. Um, there was some uh, interesting details that I, I came across of this deal. I forgot. Um, the Nationals also sended cash considerations along with Storen to the Blue Jays. They were supposed to receive a player to be named later, but that never came to fruition and I think was just eventually uh, cash as well. Uh, I had to uh, ask Mark Zuckerman about that last night as I was doing some research, and uh, he confirmed that probably it was just cash. But Drew Storen shipped off to Toronto in the offseason on uh, January 8th. Uh, Look, Drew Storen obviously has a very complicated history with his time in D.C., he had a lot of postseason misfortunes, but the year prior, in 2015, he was having one of the best years he ever had as a national. Mm-hmm. A 173 ERA, a whip just over 1,000, 29 saves and 31 attempts. The Nationals even went 73-1 and in games that he pitched. But then came Jonathan Papelbaum and knocked Drew Storen from his closer role to a setup role. He never really recovered. And with Papelbaum still on the books for the following season, the whole offseason was question marks whether or not Drew Storen would get traded. He eventually gets traded in January, and the Nationals get Ben Revere, who they thought would be uh, the proper fill-in and replacement for Denard Spam. Mm-hmm. And then this trade kind of ended up being a wash overall, overall because, like you mentioned, Storen had a good 2015, and then he went to Toronto and wasn't very productive at all. He had an ERA over six, and then when Ben Revere was coming off of a couple good years, got traded to D.C., and then he only hit 217 in 2016 uh, with a 560 OPS. So it kind of overall kind of just ended up that trade being a wash. Um, but it, it makes sense why they did it, but it's just storing coming off that good 2015, really, putting up good numbers and then, you know, not doing so well after he got traded. 
Yeah, the Nationals were accustomed to some really great center field play from Denard Spann the three years prior. Great defensive mm-hmm. player, great hitter as well, usually in the leadoff spot for them. Um, and they thought Ben Revere would replace that, and he didn't really come to fruition. This is one of those situations where it didn't really work out for either side. And it was an exactly. unfortunate situation because of the Papelbon deal. Uh, and then we all know how that ended up turning out. But, um, uh, yeah, it, it was – Drew Storen is kind of a, a touchy subject. And when you talk to Nationals fans, <laughs> a lot of people think, you know, he ran into some bad luck. A lot of people think that he wasn't given a fair shake. A lot of people think that he just kind of stunk and needed to go. So it's a definitely interesting topic for Nationals fans to discuss. But he was traded for Ben Revere. And, you know, the Nationals – quite frankly, are still looking for that center field replacement, right? I mean, they thought it would be Victor Robles. Of course, we saw what happened this past year. Now they're hoping it's going to be Lane Thomas in center field, but they haven't had that steady center fielder for a handful of years since Denard Spann because Ben Revere didn't pan out, and now Victor Robles seems to be going in the opposite direction. Yeah, that's very true. So I guess, you know, Nationals, you know, hopes are they could trade for somebody probably not this off season, but in the future uh, that is able to fill that role and be the future for the nationals or, you know, they'll sign somebody. Obviously there's a lot of criticism with them, you know, just signing veteran guys. Uh, So hopefully they're able to get a young guy and kind of build within, but we'll see. But yeah, just like you said, they haven't been able to do it in several years. Or just hop on the lane train and hopefully Lane Thomas pans out. (laughs) Right, exactly. They got him for John Lester. Let's never forget that fact. Um, All right, sticking with the trading of relievers. Year prior, January 14th, 2015, the Nationals trade fan favorite Tyler Clippard to the Athletics for third baseman Yunel Escobar. Now, this is an interesting one, Amy, because like I said, he's a fan favorite. Yunel Escobar only played for the Nationals for the one season. But oddly enough, this is a situation that kind of ended up working out for both sides. Tyler Clippard has been a part of the Nationals bullpen since 2008 when he was traded from the Yankees. Uh, He had an ERA of 268 over seven years and uh, a whip just over 1,000 and over 400 appearances for the Nationals. He was an all-star twice in 2011 and 2014. Um, his final season with the Nats was one of his best. He was coming off a great year where he was an all-star, 218 ERA, and led the majors with 40 holds. Of course, he was famous for his goggles, but the Nationals <laughs> ending up shipping him to the A's where he ends up becoming the closer over, ironically enough, an injured Sean Doolittle. Sean Doolittle started the season on yep. the injured list. Tyler Clippard takes over the closing duties. Um, he, I think, records 17 saves for the A's in the first half of the season, and then he gets shipped off to the Mets and helps them win a pennant in 2015. And then for the national side, Yunel Escobar, just a you know run-of-the-mill third baseman, no big deal, but it ended up being a huge deal because Anthony Rendon sprains his MCL earlier in spring training. They need an everyday third baseman. Up steps Escobar, and he goes on to hit 30, 3-14 uh, with 70, and score 75 runs in 139 games for the Nationals that season. So I know Nationals fans were sad to see Clippard leave that offseason, but it ended up working out for all parties involved because each team and each player kind of got what they were looking for. 
Yeah, exactly. It really worked out. I mean, Anthony Rendon starting that season hurt and Escobar being able to come, you know, come over and play right away was huge. They didn't know it at the time of the trade that they were going to need him in that role, but it ended up working out really well. And then, of course, Tyler Clippard was a staple in the Nationals bullpen, um, kind of, you know, tough for Nats fans at the time of the trade, but he was due to earn over $9 million in 2015. So that could have also been part of it. Um, part of the reason for trading him away, but it ended up working out for both sides. Um, and then, of course, they filled those bullpen roles in years to come. Yep. And so I, I like that, you know, you know, Escobar look, got his playing time, and you know, that he was looking for. And remember, even when Anthony Rendon came back, the Nationals stuck with him at uh, second base and stuck with Escobar at third. So um, mm-hmm. he ended up keeping his playing time even when uh, Rendon had returned. Kyle Clippard was able to step into an important role with the athletics and then go to a competing team with the Mets and, and, and end up winning a national league pennant and pitching on the world series that year end up losing to the Royals, but you know, still a successful season for him. So yeah, I was, it was tough because how long Tyler Clippert had been with the nationals organization, uh, seven years and uh, to see him getting traded in the off season just for, you know, what people probably thought was just a journeyman third baseman, Ended up being a big deal because, you know, who knows how those fates of both players would have uh, ended up had they not been traded because the Nationals would have desperately needed a third baseman. Sounds like the A's desperately would have needed a setup man or closer. Same with the Mets at the trade deadline. So it all kind of worked out in the end, uh, even though the Nationals fan had to say goodbye to Clip. Um, All right. The big one. Uh, coming in 2015, of course, we're going to be talking about this a lot over the next couple of weeks as the anniversary comes up. But January 21st, 2015, the Nationals signed Max Scherzer to a seven-year, $210 million deal. We know about the accolades, the stats, the numbers, the no-hitters, the World Series championship, the off-field contributions, the work around the community. We talked about that a bunch, and we don't really need to go into detail again. But I don't think we're having this conversation without this signing. I mean, this was a franchise-altering move, probably the biggest, if not, but definitely the biggest within for the Nationals organization, maybe the biggest in sports history, free agent signing ever, and uh, just an important milestone for this team. I mean, yeah, what, what do we say? This team, this franchise wouldn't be where they are without Max Scherzer. I mean, that was huge. That built the rotation for years to come. That built their rotation that won a World Series. Um, if they don't have Max Scherzer, they don't win that World Series, They this franchise would be completely different. That was huge. Um, and it came in January, which is, uh, after we're going through all of these, seems to be a pretty good, pretty lucky month here for the Nationals. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that January day. I mean, it was like it was kind of came out of the blue, and you know there was a bunch of. I didn't go, but my, I wasn't at that part of my career yet. But you know, a big press conference down at Nationals Park with Max, with Scott Boris, with mm-hmm. the Lerner family, and Mike Rizzo. Um, yeah, it was a franchise-altering day, and we know that it. You know, that's the you sign that kind of guy to win a championship. It resulted in a championship. Um, obviously did not end the way Nationals fans would have hoped in terms of how he had to leave. But, you know, we got he was part of that package with the Dodgers, with Trey Turner. You get Josiah Gray, Caber Ruiz coming back. And so hopefully he's still somehow in, in a weird way, a part of the Nationals future by, you know, being a part of the deal that brought over Gray and Ruiz. And hopefully those guys can lead the next Nationals uh, World Series championship team in the years to come. And, you know, ideally, I think, Max Scherzer will go into the Hall of Fame with a curly W cap. What do you think? 
I hope so. I hope so. Um, and that's an interesting way to look at it. I like how you looked at it, him being part of that Dodger trade and getting those prospects back and still being a big part of the future and maybe um, their next World Series win. I like that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, he still could have his fingerprints on this franchise uh-huh. for the next couple of years, even after, even though he's now with a division foe and we're going to see him a couple of times yeah, a that's season. That's going to make that's going to make things interesting, I think. And I, it's going to be weird. Like this year is just going to be weird seeing him in a Mets uniform, um, especially after we thought for sure he wasn't going to go to New York. Um, and then, of course, the Nationals playing them so many times during the season. It's just going to be weird. <laughs> I saw a video on Twitter of uh, some Mets fan site, blog, whatever, opening up a a brand new Max Scherzer black Mets jersey, authentic with the number 21, and it just looks weird, man. It just yeah, is an weird. odd sight, especially him wearing <laughs> 21. I guess I don't haven't looked down the Mets roster. Maybe 31 was already taken. Or mm-hmm. Oh, Mike, it's Mike Piazza. Duh. Mike Piazza's retired, so you can't wear the Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, just wearing the 21 and Scherzer and black and the Mets. It's the Mets Nothing weird, adds man. up. Not nope. right. It's all weird. It's all weird. Um, all right. Last one, a uh, major one that I had written down, Amy. Um, this is a big one. I think Nationals fans are going to like this one. Adam LaRoche, and this happened actually twice in January. January 7th, 2011, signs a two-year, $16 million deal. Uh, two years later, January 8th, 2013, he would re-sign to another two-year, $24 million deal. A fan favorite over the those handful of years. Um, his first season with the Nationals was cut short due to a labrum surgery in his left shoulder. But he didn't bounce back and be proved to be one of the best power-hitting left-handed first baseman and, and strong defensively as well. Remember, this is before Ryan Zimmerman shifted over to third ba- or first base. Mm-hmm. It was Adam LaRoche holding down that corner. And he became a fan favorite immediately, led a couple of post, uh, postseason championship teams uh, in 2012 and 2014. Adam LaRoche had a really good staple on this franchise and, of course, was welcomed back to a huge ovation back in 2016, I think, when he gave out the first ceremonial first pitch before game two of the NLDS uh, against the Dodgers. So really cool. The Nationals fans still acknowledge and welcome back Adam LaRoche uh, whenever he comes to town. Yep, exactly. I mean, there was criticism when they were signing him because he was a veteran guy that they were signing for a good bit of money instead of, you know, building within and they needed pitching at the time and they weren't really signing pitching. Obviously, we know that they did uh, in the years to come and it was at the right time, but there was some criticism there. Um, And then, you know, he ended up being a big part of the team that made the NLDS and two of his four years there. Of course, they moved on from him uh, in 2015. And that was because Ryan Zimmerman was hurt the year before they moved him over to first base. Um, There really wasn't uh, a need for him, but he had good years uh, with the Nationals in 2012, probably the highlight of his time in D.C. The second year of that first contract, he was a silver slugger, won a gold glove, finished sixth in the MVP. VP voting. Um, so, you know, he was in, in hit 20 or more home runs in those his three healthy years here. Uh, so he was a really important signing for the Nationals. Um, and all four years were some of the best years of his career when he was in D.C. Yeah, and it was a rough start for him, too, because he did sign that $16 million deal back in 2011. And, you know, like I said, his that season was cut short mm-hmm. to injury. But over those next three seasons, he hit 79 home runs with 254 RBIs, including, like you said, that really big 2012 season. So we bounced back from it and proved mm-hmm. worthy of that and then earned a similar bigger contract uh, in 2013 around the same time of year in January. So um, another guy that 
like I said, is going to be loved by Nationals fans for a long time. A shame that they couldn't get him on a championship caliber team. You know, he won mm-hmm. a couple of division titles, but no uh, postseason uh, accolades after that. But still an important role for this franchise's history. Like you say, kind of also paved the way for Mike uh, Ryan Zimmerman to shift over to first base after he needed to. But, um, you know, also it's kind of sad when you think about Adam LaRoche and how his career ended in Chicago, all that drama with his son, who I just saw actually got married, which is kind of crazy to think that he just got really? married. Yeah, so that if that doesn't make you feel old, wow. I mean, um, congratulations to him. But it was kind of a sad ending for Adam LaRoche's career. He did not deserve that, and I'm glad Nationals fans welcome him back. Um, and then he, you know, I guess hopefully that his, him and his family know that he's always welcome back at Nationals Park and he'll hear an ovation and get the handshakes and all that stuff. Uh, when he returns to D.C. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, because really, I mean, obviously he didn't finish his career with the Nationals, but it almost feels that way. You yeah. know, that was yeah. those were his last good years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, all right. We're uh, kind, of, kind of running down uh, out of time here. Um, Amy, thank you so much. That was a fun talk. It was cool to look back and see all the roofs that, that worked out, that did not work out um, for the Nationals in the month of January. Like I said, Typically a busy month for them. Of course, not this year, but hopefully sometime soon they can start picking up and uh, making some roster moves with the CBA uh, getting addressed. Um, uh, give Amy a follow on Twitter at Amy Jennings News. Great follow. Uh, she has Nats content and, and, and you know um, opinions throughout the course of the offseason. Uh, Amy, I know you got to get going, so I'll let you go. Thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah, see you next time. I guess we'll see you next week, and that'll be it uh, for this episode of the Mass and All Access podcast. Uh, if you want to know more about these guys, a little more tidbits about these uh, January roster moves, I'll have a brand new article kind of recapping all of this stuff on MassInSports.com coming on Saturday. You can give Amy a follow, Amy Jennings News. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter. There are a couple other moves we didn't get to, get to. I'll include those on the post on Saturday morning as I cover for Mark Zuckerman. Thank you so much for tuning in to Mass and All Access Podcast. Remember, you can check out the Mass and All Access Podcast every week on the Mass and Nationals Facebook page, YouTube channel, and on Twitter. And, of course, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Wherever you get podcasts, you can get the Mass and All Access Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay safe. Stay warm, D.C. Hopefully, we'll all everyone will travel safely, and we'll be able to see you next week right back here. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you later.